0: You know, I looked around this morning, I came in, I got here at about eight, and I was simply overwhelmed with the spirit that was here. Uh, the spirit present in people volunteering. Uh, in our prayer meeting, we have a prayer meeting before the service, we're meeting in the women's locker room, which no, is not, by the way, the women's restroom. That's a different thing, don't go in there if you're not a woman. <clears throat> praying together, praying together, I came here this morning and I thought, this is amazing that God has provided this for us. I'm so thankful to Calvin College. Many of you by now know the story. They contacted us and invited us to come here and to use this facility, and I'm so grateful. This facility wasn't even here a, a few years ago. God's provided this for us, for us to be able to meet together in this place. The amount of work that's gone in to get this all ready to go you may not know this but we've got setup teams and normally the setup teams are able to come in at 6 p.m. but last night because of either a basketball game or a volleyball game or something it was one of the rare occasions where the setup team couldn't even begin start get started until 10 p.m. and we have people from the church in here setting this all up our audiovisual and technical people here till 1 in the morning getting this already, and I look around and I think there is so much to be grateful for that God has provided. I told you the story about the church uh, in Arizona who went through a very similar building project like we're going through, and they had to have 11 services over a weekend just to get everybody into the facilities that they had in order for them to be able to worship together. And here I am looking out, and we're gathered together As a church, now we had to find new seats, didn't we? Our typical seats were not here. We have to get adjusted to new neighbors. But that's a blessing. That's a blessing from the Lord. And I'm looking around on our serving teams. I'm looking around in the facility. And I'm seeing this is all part of God's plan to make us into the church that he wants us to be. And I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm reminded, in fact, of a poem by a guy named George Herbert. Who was a famous, famous 17th century Anglican poet and priest? The poem is called Gratefulness, and the first and the last stanza of the poem go like this Thou hast given so much to me. Give one thing more a grateful heart. See how thy beggar works on thee by art not thankful when it pleases me as if thy blessings had spare days but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise what george herbert is on to here is that god is always blessing people his blessings don't take days off they don't have spare days God is always pouring out His blessings on people. And what George Herbert is asking for is that God would provide a heart of gratitude to be able to recognize those blessings. He's not asking that God would provide more blessings. He's realized that God is always blessing people. What He wants is for God to give him a heart of gratitude to recognize all those blessings. And with that attitude, we come to understand the solution to our deepest and most pervasive problem as humans, according to the book of Romans. So please take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. I can't say that there are Bibles underneath your seat or in the rack in front of you. There were some Bibles at the door when you came in. Some of you may have them on electronic devices. Romans chapter 1, if you do have one of the church Bibles, it's page nine eleven. Romans chapter 1. Now we looked last week at Romans 1. And we talked about one sign of a heart that is far from God. But I told you last week that the topic we were discussing was not the main issue going on in Romans 1. This morning we have the opportunity to look at the main issue. Now we read verses 18 to 33 last week. Let me just read verses 18 to 21 this week. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, pause here for just a moment. Notice what God is saying through Paul. All godlessness and all wickedness. This is as comprehensive as it gets. All godlessness and all wickedness is what God is talking about here. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Again, pause for a moment. Paul is saying the problem with humanity is not that God's not doing a good job of communicating. It's not that God's not doing a good job of blessing. But all wickedness and all godlessness that is present in humanity has a different source, and that is verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Jump down to verse 28, you'll see a confirmation of this same issue. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Both verse 21 and verse 28 identify the same problem which is the root of all human wickedness and godlessness. The root of all sin. And it's what we call the sin of pride. Now, the problem with identifying it as pride is when we hear the word pride, we normally think arrogance. But that's not how the Bible defines pride. Psalm 10 gives us the biblical definition for pride. In his pride... The wicked man does not seek him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That's what Romans 1 is talking about. The biblical sin of pride is not having any room in our thoughts for God. You see, pride is not just thinking too highly of ourselves. Pride is simply thinking too much about ourselves, whether high or low. That's why you're not going to find the word insecurity in the Bible. It's not because nobody in the Bible struggles with the sin of insecurity. It's because it's covered under the sin of pride, that whether you are thinking self-loathing thoughts or self-exalting thoughts it's the same thing in the sense of you and i thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about god that's what romans 1 says is the root problem for all wickedness all godlessness all sin in the world is you and i having no room for god our thoughts. Now let me show you what this looks like in a very, very important example. It comes from Genesis chapter 3, and it's the story of the first sin in human history. Genesis chapter 3 begins this way. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now remember where this is taking place. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place on earth. There are flowing rivers and lush green hills and amazing orchard and all sorts of fruit and wonderful things. But watch what happens when Satan comes using his craftiness and deception. Notice how he starts. Did God really say? Now, the subject of that sentence is God. But notice how Satan is pushing Adam and Eve's interests into the position of prominence. God's the subject, But did he say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Adam and Eve's interests are being pushed to the forefront. You deserve better than this. You're entitled to eat of any tree. Why would God be withholding something from you? Now look at the next two verses. The woman said to the serpent... We may eat fruit from trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Do you see the subtle thing that's happened here, for those of you who are English grammarians? Who's the subject of this set of sentences? We... First sentence, God was the subject. Satan has been gently pushing Adam and Eve into the place of being the subject. God's still here, but it's Adam and Eve who are the subject. We may eat fruit from any of the trees, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree. Now watch what happens in the next couple of verses. This is Satan speaking again. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now again, pay close attention to what Satan is doing. Who's the subject of this set of sentences? Adam and Eve? But notice they have now become the object as well. You will eat the fruit, you will gain knowledge, this will be a blessing to you. God's still somewhat present there, but he's no longer the main feature at all. Not the subject, nor the object. Now look at the last sentence. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Question. Who's missing from that verse? God, do you see how he has been subtly pushed out of the conversation? In verse 1, he is the subject of the sentence, By verse 6, he's not even mentioned anymore. That's pride. Not arrogance. Adam and Eve are not boasting about how great they are. This is the Bible's definition of pride. There's simply no room for God in their thoughts anymore. They are consumed with what they're going to benefit from this. How this is going to be good for them. Why this is something that they want. That's what Romans 1 is identifying. As the root problem of all of your sins and my sins no room for god in our thoughts not simply thinking too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves simply thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about god well if that's the problem what's the solution romans 1 verse 21 For although they knew God, they began with the knowledge of God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Romans 1 presents a very straightforward solution to the problem of thinking too much about ourselves. And it's the solution of gratitude, being thankful to God. You see, the problem in the garden was not that God had somehow failed to bless Adam and Eve. He had created this entire world for them. He had given them this beautiful garden. He was in regular daily communication with them. It was not that somehow he had removed himself from being present in their lives. It was that Satan began his great lie, his great deception to get Adam and Eve to stop thinking about God. But imagine what would have happened if when Satan comes to Eve, she had said, are you kidding? Have you not seen this amazing garden? Have you not seen all this incredible fruit? Have you not seen this beautiful place that God has given to us? Yes, there's one tree we're not able to eat from, but have you seen this tree over here? Have you tried this fruit over here? Have you looked at the dust of the ground? That used to be us. We were made out of that stuff, and here we are, living people. God has given us so much. If that had been her attitude, do you think she would have eaten? From the tree she wasn't supposed to eat from? Now that's a hypothetical. It didn't happen. Eve didn't respond that way. So let's look at a real live example of how gratitude works, uh, which actually did happen. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, page 850 in the church Bibles. Luke 17. I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith, and here we have a bit of a a translational sort of issue. It literally says your faith has saved you. We've translated it, your faith has made you well, which is a holistic idea. But the idea here is your faith has saved you. Okay, now let's see what's going on in this story. The first thing that's important to understand is Jesus heals all ten lepers. All ten lepers. Now they're standing at a distance because they are outcasts. But Jesus knows they need to be blessed and so he blesses them. That's the idea from Romans chapter 1. God blesses the whole world, the righteous and the unrighteous alike. It's not that God's blessings are only reserved for believers. God's blessings are freely given to all people. All people get to experience the blessing of life. God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God causes almost all people who come down with the common cold, for example, to get better, not just the righteous or believers. God causes every single human being to experience some level of peace and of joy in this life. Just like in Luke chapter 17, God's blessing comes on all ten of these people. But only one comes back to say thank you. Now look what it says about One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. And do you see this word praising God? That's the word glorifying God from Romans 1 verse 21. Same exact word. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and thanked him. Same exact word from Romans chapter 1, verse 21. This person is doing what Romans 1:21 says you're supposed to do in response to the blessings that God pours out on all humans. He is praising God and thanking the person through whom God's blessings have come to him. You see, God pours out his grace on all people. The proper response to grace is gratitude. Gratitude and grace go hand in hand. Who here can tell me the Spanish word for grace? Gracia. Who here can tell me the Spanish word for thank you? Gracias. Do you hear the connection? Grace and gratitude belong together. In Greek, the the Greek word for grace is charis. The Greek word for thank you that we're looking at here, eucharisto, do you hear the connection? Grace and gratitude belong hand in hand. The proper response to grace is gratitude. That's what just one of them, 10 receive grace. One responds properly with gratitude. Now notice what happens to that one and to the other nine. Jesus says to the one who comes back. Now notice at the beginning of the story, all ten stand at a distance from Jesus. What does the one do when he comes back? Throws himself at Jesus' feet. There is no more distance between them anymore. Well, what about the other nine? Where are they? What happened to them? I think Romans 1 happened to them. I think at some point on their way, after being healed, God got pushed out of their thoughts. Maybe they said to themselves... Well, it's about time that God healed me. I'd had this leprosy for so long. Maybe they began to think, well, of course I got healed. Did you see how how well we asked? Maybe they began to think, well, yes, I'm healed, but if God was really good, he would have made up to me all the years that I spent being sick. Maybe they thought, yes, I'm healed, but I'm still poor. I don't have a job. I don't have anything. We don't know what happens, but Romans 1 is what happens to them. There's no room for God in their thoughts, and whatever happens, they drift further and further away from God. But what about this one? When he responds in gratitude, Jesus says, Rise and go, your faith has saved you. And here's the stunning thing. Ten men got healed, one got saved. Just because God healed those ten men, they did not come to faith. Why not? Because they did not respond to God's grace given to everybody with gratitude. Why did this one not only get physical healing but eternal salvation as well? Because he responded in gratitude. You see, this is how it works. God pours out his blessings on all humans. All humans. The righteous and the unrighteous alike. God blesses all people. When we choose to push God out of our thoughts, we walk away from him. When we choose to say thank you, we come closer to him, and we receive more grace from God. What does this look like in our lives today? I was asking Mark, who's back there doing our soundboard right now. You normally don't get to see Mark because he's up in the sound booth. He's back there doing the sound, and and we knew this is going to be a different acoustical environment than our sanctuary. And I said to Mark, how do you think it's going to go on Sunday? we got all this music stuff. We've got different levels of acoustics. We've got some reverberation. We've got all sorts of stuff. How do you think it's going to go? And his response was, well, it depends on people's expectations. You see, entitlement is another form of pride. It's thinking I deserve better than this. If we come here and think we deserve to have an acoustical experience in an arena that's going to sound like it sounds in a sanctuary, that we think that we deserve everything to sound the way we want it to sound, if we think that all the slides are going to appear in the right way and we'll have all the lyrics and clear sight lines and everything will be perfect, we're going to walk out of here thinking, well, that wasn't a really great experience because we're the center of our thoughts. If instead we come here and think, this is pretty amazing. There's an arena that has intelligent lighting. We can change the lighting. We can project our our PowerPoint slides up on the screens. We can amplify our voices so that we can hear. If we walk out here and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing these things for us. What's going to happen is we're going to draw closer to God. And if you sit here all morning long and think, we deserve better than this, or I want something different than this, or I like it when it's this way, this service will have no impact on you whatsoever. You will simply walk further away from God. If, however, you come here and think, man, Lord, this is incredible. Thank you. We don't deserve any of this. One of our meetings when we were talking about all the logistics for moving to Grace Beyond and people were kind of asking questions, well, are Sunday schools in the class? What about this? And how's this going to work? And all those kinds of things. A man stood up at the microphone and said, there are people all over the world that have no place to meet or they're meeting in persecution. We should be grateful that we have. It turned the whole meeting around. Why? He's doing exactly what Romans 1 says you're supposed to do. When God provides grace, you respond with gratitude and you draw nearer to God. Okay, imagine that like Alyssa, you're a college student here at Calvin College. It's possible to show up in one of your classes and think, my professor, he's, he's a difficult professor, or there's too much homework in this class, or the homework in this class is causing me not to be able to hang out with my friends and have fun. Or, this class is costing me a lot of money. The problem is, is that me, 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 I'm the center of everything that I'm thinking about. Well, of course, you're going to begin to commit the sins that Romans 1 talks about. Grumbling and complaining. Bitterness. Envy. But if instead, you choose to say, thank you God for letting me come to school here. Thank you, God, that this professor, who I don't necessarily resonate, is probably going to teach me some things that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Thank you that you're somehow paying for this and providing for it, even if it's through student loans or even if it's through difficulty. If you're able to see the blessings of God and respond in gratitude, you're going to draw closer and closer to God. Suppose you're a parent here, and you take a look at your child. If you take a look at your child from the aspect of pride— I deserve a child who never misbehaves. I deserve a child who's spiritually mature all of the time. I deserve a child who gives excellent academic and athletic performance. I deserve a child who's going to make me look good. If it's all about you, if it's all about me, we are going to commit the sins of Romans 1, which are anger, bitterness, a lack of mercy, in our parenting of our children. If, however, we realize I shouldn't even had kids in the first place. Who am I that God would entrust this to me? I don't know about you. There's enough stuff in my background that God very well could say, you don't have any business raising anybody. <laughs> and if you thank God, Lord, this is your grace. This is your mercy. And your children and my children... As they're growing in the Lord, God's using that to bless us. If you choose gratitude, you draw closer and closer to God. Now listen, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is the fundamental choice. It's not, well, maybe God will bless people and maybe... He's always blessing people. You're a good, good father There's no other, he has no other choice except to bless people. That's what he does. That's who he is. The choice now resides with us. We can either choose to forget about those blessings, which is pride, and to move God out of our thoughts and put us in the center, in which case we will journey down the road of Romans 1. We will commit the sins that are present in Romans 1. If, however, in the midst of these blessings we choose to say thank you, We will draw closer and closer to God, and we will see more and more of what he's up to. That is the choice. God says here, the root of all sin is thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about God, and the solution is gratitude. So here's your assignment for today. I want you to take whatever issue is on your mind, whatever you've been thinking about this week, whatever thing that you came in here worried about, whatever it is that's stressing you out, whatever it is that you're going through. It could be a financial situation. It could be a family situation. It could be something at your job. It could be something at school. It can be something about the future. It can be something about the political climate in the country. It can be something about what's going on in the world. Anything, any issue that you currently are dealing with, does everybody understand that? And I want you to ask yourself a series of questions. How might I be thinking too much about myself in regards to this situation and not enough about God? How might I be thinking about what I'm entitled to, what I deserve, how this is going to affect me, how I should have a stress-free life? How might thinking too much about yourself in that job situation, that class situation, that financial situation, the political climate, whatever it is, how might thinking too much about yourself be happening in that situation? And then likewise, what are the blessings of God that I've already seen? What are the ways that God might be using this situation to bless me? What are the ways that God might be using this situation to change me and to stretch me? What might be the ways that God is blessing me in the midst of this situation in small ways along the path? Let me choose to at least stop and to say thank you for those things. And whatever the situation is, Listen, this is not pop psychology. This is the Word of God that says the root of all wickedness and godlessness is thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about God. And the solution is be grateful to God for the blessings He's pouring out on you. Listen, if you can't think of a situation, take this Sunday morning as your example. When you leave here, try the gratitude piece and see what happens. The root of all human sin and wickedness. Thinking too much about ourselves. Whether that's beating ourselves up or exalting ourselves or thinking about our interests. Whatever it is, the root of all human wickedness and godlessness is thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about God. And the solution is gratitude. Open your eyes because the blessings of God are all around us.